chapter twenty three of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty three viola and dost thou love me lysander love thee viola do i not fly thee when my being drinks light from thine eyes that flight is all my answer the bride act two scene one the curtain meditations of the squire had not been without the produce of a resolve his warm heart at once reopened to the liking he had formerly conceived for clifford he longed for an opportunity to atone for his past unkindness and to testify his present gratitude moreover he felt at once indignant at and ashamed of his late conduct in joining the popular and as he now fully believed the causeless prepossession against his young friend and before a more present and a stronger sentiment his habitual deference for his brother's counsels faded easily away coupled with these favourable feelings towards clifford were his sagacious suspicions or rather certainty of lucy's attachment to her handsome deliverer and he had at least sufficient penetration to perceive that she was not likely to love him the less for the night's adventure to all this was added the tender recollection of his wife's parting words and the tears and tell-tale agitation of lucy in the carriage were sufficient to his simple mind which knew not how lightly maiden's tears are shed and dried to confirm the prediction of the dear deceased nor were the squire's more generous and kindly feelings utterly unmixed with selfish considerations proud but not the least ambitious he was always more ready to confer an honour than receive one and at heart he was secretly glad at the notion of exchanging as a son-in-law the polished and unfamiliar malevolent for the agreeable and social clifford such in admired disorder were the thoughts which rolled through the teeming brain of joseph brandon and before he had turned on his left side which he always did preparatory to surrendering himself to slumber the squire had fully come to a determination most fatal to the schemes of the lawyer and the hopes of the earl the next morning as lucy was knitting the loose train of her amber dropping hair before the little mirror of her chamber which even through its dimmed and darkened glass gave back a face which might have shamed a grecian vision of aurora a gentle tap at her door announced her father there was in his rosy and comely countenance that expression generally characteristic of a man pleased with himself and persuaded that he is about to give pleasure my dear child said the squire fondly stroking down the luxuriance of his lucy's hair and kissing her damask cheek i am come to have some little conversation with you sit down now and for my part i love to talk at my ease and by the by shut the window my love it is an easterly wind i wish that we may come to a clear and distinct understanding 
give me your hand my child i think on these matters one can scarcely speak too precisely and to the purpose although i am well aware for for my own part i always wish to act to every one to you especially my dearest child with the greatest consideration that we must go to work with as much delicacy as conciseness you know this captain clifford tis a brave youth is it not well nay never blush so deeply there is nothing for in these matters one can't have all one's wishes one can't have everything to be ashamed of tell me now child does think he is in love with thee if lucy did not immediately answer by words her pretty lips moved as if she could readily reply and finally they settled into so sweet and so assured a smile that the squire fond as he was of precise information was in want of no fuller answer to his question ay ay young lady said he looking at her with all a father's affection i see how it is and come now what do you turn away for dost think if as i believe though there are envious persons in the world as there always are when a man's handsome or clever or brave though by the way which is a very droll thing in my eyes they don't envy at least not ill-naturedly a man for being a lord or rich but quite on the contrary rank and money seem to make them think one has all the cardinal virtues huh. if i say this mr clifford should turn out to be a gentleman of family for you know that is essential since the brandons have as my brother has probably told you been a great race many centuries ago dost think my child that thou couldst give up the cat is out of the bag this old lord and marry a simple gentleman the hand which the squire had held was now with an arch tenderness applied to his mouth and when he again seized it lucy hid her glowing face in his bosom and it was only by a whisper as if the very air was garrulous that he could draw forth for now he insisted on a verbal reply her happy answer we are not afraid that our reader will blame us for not detailing the rest of the interview between the father and daughter it did not last above an hour longer for the squire declared that for his own part he hated more words than were necessary mr brandon was the first to descend to the breakfast muttering as he descended the stairs well now hang me if i am not glad that's off for i do not like to think much of so silly a matter my mind and as for my brother i shan't tell him till it's all over and settled and if he is angry he and the old lord may though i don't mean to be unbrotherly go to the devil together when the three were assembled at the breakfast-table there could not perhaps have been found anywhere a stronger contrast than that which the radiant face of lucy bore to the haggard and worn expression that disfigured the handsome features of her lover so marked was the change that one night seemed to have wrought upon clifford that even the squire was startled and alarmed at it but lucy whose innocent vanity pleased itself with accounting for the alteration consoled herself with the hope of soon witnessing a very different expression on the countenance of her lover and though she was silent and her happiness lay quiet and deep within her yet in her eyes and lip there was that which seemed to clifford an insult to his own misery 
and stung him to the heart however he exerted himself to meet the conversation of the squire and to mask as well as he was able the evidence of the conflict which still raged within him the morning was wet and gloomy it was that drizzling and misty rain which is so especially nutritious to the growth of blue devils and the jolly squire failed not to rally his young friend upon his feminine susceptibility to the influences of the weather clifford replied jestingly and the jest if bad was good enough to content the railer in this facetious manner passed the time to lucy at the request of her father left the room to prepare for their return home drawing his chair near to clifford's the squire then commenced in real and affectionate earnest his operations these he had already planned in the following order they were first to inquire into and to learn clifford's rank family and prospects secondly having ascertained the proprieties of the outer man they were to examine the state of the inner one and thirdly should our skilful inquirer find his guesses at clifford's affection for lucy confirmed they were to expel the modest fear of a repulse which the squire allowed was natural enough and to lead the object of the inquiry to a knowledge of the happiness that lucy consenting might be in store for him while with his wonted ingenuity the squire was pursuing his benevolent designs lucy remained in her own room in such meditation and such dreams as were natural to a heart so sanguine and enthusiastic she had been more than half an hour alone when the chambermaid of the hostelry knocked at her door and delivered a message from the squire begging her to come down to him in the parlour with a heart that beat so violently it almost seemed to wear away its very life lucy slowly and with tremulous steps descended to the parlour on opening the door she saw clifford standing in the recess of the window his face was partly turned from her and his eyes downcast the good old squire sat in an elbow-chair and a sort of puzzled and half-satisfied complacency gave expression to his features come hither child said he clearing his throat captain clifford <clears throat> has done you the honour too and i dare say you will be very much surprised not that for my own part i think there is much to wonder at in it but such may be my partial opinion and it is certainly very natural in me to make you a declaration of love he declares moreover that he is the most miserable of men and that he would die sooner than have the presumption to hope therefore you see my love i have sent for you to give him permission to destroy himself in any way he pleases and i leave him to show cause why it is a fate that sooner or later happens to all his fellow-men sentence of death should not be passed against him having delivered this speech with more propriety of word than usually fell to his share the squire rose hastily and hobbled out of the room lucy sank into the chair her father had quitted and clifford approaching towards her said in a hoarse and low voice your father miss brandon says rightly that i would die rather than lift my eyes in hope to you i thought yesterday that i had seen you for the last time chance not my own folly or presumption has brought me again before you and even the few hours i have passed under the same roof with you have made me feel as if my love my madness had never reached its height till now oh lucy continued clifford in a more impassioned tone 
and as if by a sudden and irresistible impulse throwing himself at her feet if i could hope to merit you if i could hope to raise myself if i could but no 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 i am cut off from all hope and for ever there was so deep so bitter so heartfelt an anguish and remorse in the voice with which these last words were spoken that lucy hurried off her guard and forgetting everything in wondering sympathy and compassion answered extending her hand towards clifford who still kneeling seized and covered it with kisses of fire do not speak thus mr clifford do not accuse yourself of what i am sure quite sure you cannot deserve perhaps forgive me your birth your fortune are beneath your merits and you have penetrated into my father's weakness on the former point or perhaps you yourself have not avoided all the errors into which men are hurried perhaps you have been imprudent or thoughtless perhaps you have fashion is contagious played beyond your means or incurred debts these are faults it is true and to be regretted yet surely not irreparable for that instant can it be wondered that all clifford's resolution and self-denial deserted him and lifting his eyes radiant with joy and gratitude to the face which bent in benevolent innocence towards him he exclaimed no miss brandon no lucy dear angel lucy my faults are less venial than these but perhaps they are no less the consequence of circumstances and contagion perhaps it may not be too late to repair them would you you indeed deign to be my guardian i might not despair of being saved if said lucy blushing deeply and looking down while she spoke quick and eagerly as if to avoid humbling him by her offer if mr clifford the want of wealth has in any way occasioned you uneasiness or or error do believe me i mean us so much your friends as not for an instant to scruple in relieving us of some little portion of our last night's debt to you dear noble girl said clifford while there writhed upon his lips one of those smiles of powerful sarcasm that sometimes distorted his features and thrillingly impressed upon lucy a resemblance to one very different in reputation and character to her lover do not attribute my misfortunes to so petty a source it is not money that i shall want while i live though i shall to my last breath remember this delicacy in you and compare it with certain base remembrances in my own mind yes all past thoughts and recollections will make me hereafter worship you even more than i do now while in your heart they will unless heaven grant me one prayer make you scorn and detest me for mercy's sake do not speak thus said lucy gazing in indistinct alarm upon the dark and working features of her lover scorn detest you impossible how could i after the remembrance of last night i of last night said clifford speaking through his ground teeth there is much in that remembrance to live long in both of us but you you fair angel in all harshness and irony vanishing at once from his voice and countenance yielded to a tender and deep sadness mingled with a respect that bordered on reverence you never could have dreamed of more than pity for one like me you never could have stooped from your high and dazzling purity to know for me one such thought as that which burns at my heart for you you yes withdraw your hand 
i am not worthy to touch it and clasping his own hands before his face he became abruptly silent but his emotions were but ill-concealed and lucy saw the muscular frame before her heaved and convulsed by passions which were more intense and rending because it was only for a few moments that they conquered his self-will and struggled into vent if afterwards but long afterwards lucy recalling the mystery of his words confessed to herself that they betrayed guilt she was then too much affected to think of anything but her love and his emotion she bent down and with a girlish and fond self-abandonment which none could have resisted placed both her hands on his clifford started looked up and in the next moment he had clasped her to his heart and while the only tears he had shed since his career of crime fell fast and hot upon her countenance he kissed her forehead her cheek her lips in a passionate and wild transport his voice died within him he could not trust himself to speak only one thought even in that seeming forgetfulness of her and of himself stirred and spoke at his breast flight the more he felt he loved the more tender and the more confiding the object of his love the more urgent became the necessity to leave her all other duties had been neglected but he loved with a real love and love which taught him one duty bore him triumphantly through its bitter ordeal you will hear from me to-night he muttered believe that i am mad accursed criminal but not utterly a monster i ask no more merciful opinion he drew himself from his perilous position and abruptly departed when clifford reached his home he found his worthy coadjutors waiting for him with alarm and terror on their countenances an old feat in which they had signalized themselves had long attracted the rigid attention of the police and certain officers had now been seen at bath and certain inquiries had been set on foot which portended no good to the safety of the sagacious tomlinson and the valorous pepper they came humbly and penitentially demanding pardon for their unconscious aggression of the squire's carriage and entreating their captain's instant advice if clifford had before wavered in his disinterested determination if visions of lucy of happiness and reform had floated in his solitary ride too frequently and too glowingly before his eyes the sight of these men their conversation their danger all sufficed to restore his resolution merciful god thought he and is it to the comrade of such lawless villains to a man like them exposed hourly to the most ignominious of deaths that i have for one section of a moment dreamed of consigning the innocent and generous girl whose trust or love is the only crime that could deprive her of the most brilliant destiny short were clifford's instructions to his followers and so much do we do mechanically that they were delivered with his usual forethought and precision you will leave the town instantly go not for your lives to london or to rejoin any of your comrades ride for the red cave provisions are stored there and since our late alteration of the interior it will afford ample room to conceal your horses on the night of the second day from this i will join you but be sure that you enter the cave at night and quit it upon no account till i come yes said he when he was alone i will join you again but only to quit you one more offence against the law or at least one 
sum wrested from the swollen hands of the rich sufficient to equip me for a foreign army and i quit the country of my birth and my crimes if i cannot deserve lucy brandon i will be somewhat less unworthy perhaps why not i am young my nerves are not weak my brain is not dull perhaps i may in some field of honourable adventure win a name that before my deathbed i may not blush to acknowledge to her while this resolve beat high within clifford's breast lucy sadly and in silence was continuing with the squire her short journey to bath the latter was very inquisitive to know why clifford had gone and what he had avowed and lucy scarcely able to answer through everything on the promised letter of the night i am glad muttered the squire to her that he is going to write for somehow or other though i questioned him very tightly he slipped through my cross-examination and bursting out at once as to his love for you left me as wise about himself as i was before no doubt for my own part i don't see what should prevent his being a great man in cog this letter will explain all late that night the letter came lucy fortunately for her was alone in her room she opened it and read as follows clifford's letter i have promised to write to you and i sit down to perform that promise at this moment the recollection of your goodness your generous consideration is warm within me and while i must choose calm and common words to express what i ought to say my heart is alternately melted and torn by thoughts which would ask words oh how different your father has questioned me often of my parentage and birth i have hitherto eluded his interrogatories learn now who i am in a wretched abode surrounded by the inhabitants of poverty and vice i recall my earliest recollections my father is unknown to me as to every one my mother to you i dare not mention who or what she was she died in my infancy without a name but not without an inheritance my inheritance was large it was infamy i was thrown upon the world i had received by accident some education and imbibed some ideas not natural to my situation since then i have played many parts in life books and men i have not so neglected but that i have gleaned at intervals some little knowledge from both hence if i have seemed to you better than i am you will perceive the cause circumstances made me soon my own master they made me also one whom honest men do not love to look upon my deeds have been and my character is of a par with my birth and my fortunes i came in the noble hope to raise and redeem myself by gilding my fate with a wealthy marriage to this city i saw you whom i had once before met i heard you were rich hate me miss brandon hate me i resolved to make your ruin the cause of my redemption happily for you i scarcely knew you before i loved you that love deepened it caught something pure and elevated from yourself my resolution forsook me even now i could throw myself on my knees and thank god that you you dearest and noblest of human beings are not my wife now is my conduct clear to you if not imagine me all that is villainous save in one point where you are concerned and not a shadow of mystery will remain your kind father overrating the paltry service i rendered you would have consented to submit my fate to your decision i blush indignantly for him for you 
that any living man should have dreamed of such profanation for miss brandon yet i myself was carried away and intoxicated by so sudden and so soft a hope even i dared to lift my eyes to you to press you to this guilty heart to forget myself and to dream that you might be mine can you forgive me for this madness and hereafter when in your lofty and glittering sphere of wedded happiness can you remember my presumption and check your scorn perhaps you think that by so late a confession i have already deceived you alas you know not what it costs me now to confess i had only one hope in life it was that you might still long after you had ceased to see me fancy me not utterly beneath the herd with whom you live this burning yet selfish vanity i tear from me and now i go where no hope can pursue me no hope for myself save one which can scarcely deserve the name for it is rather a rude and visionary wish than an expectation it is that under another name and under different auspices you may hear of me at some distant time and when i apprise you that under that name you may recognize one who loves you better than all created things you may feel then at least no cause for shame at your lover what will you be then a happy wife a mother the centre of a thousand joys beloved admired blessed when the eye sees you and the ear hears and this is what i ought to hope this is the consolation that ought to cheer me perhaps a little time hence it will not that i shall love you less but that i shall love you less burningly and therefore less selfishly i have now written to you all that it becomes you to receive from me my horse waits below to bear me from this city and forever from your vicinity forever i you are the only blessing forever forbidden me wealth i may gain a fair name even glory i may perhaps aspire to to heaven itself i may find a path but of you my very dreams cannot give me the shadow of a hope i do not say if you could pierce my soul while i write that you would pity me you may think it strange but i would not have your pity for worlds i think i would even rather have your hate pity seems so much like contempt but if you knew what an effort has enabled me to tame down my language to curb my thoughts to prevent me from embodying that which now makes my brain whirl and my hand feel as if the living fire consumed it if you knew what has enabled me to triumph over the madness at my heart and spare you what if writ or spoken would seem like the ravings of insanity you would not and you could not despise me though you might abhor and now heaven guard and bless you nothing on earth could injure you and even the wicked who have looked upon you learn to pray i have prayed for you thus abrupt and signatureless ended the expected letter lucy came down the next morning at her usual hour and except that she was very pale nothing in her appearance seemed to announce past grief or emotion the squire asked her if she had received the promised letter she answered in a clear though faint voice that she had that mr clifford had confessed himself of too low an origin to hope for marriage with mr brandon's family that she trusted the squire would keep his secret and that the subject might never again be alluded to by either if in this speech there was something alien to lucy's ingenuous character and painful to her mind she felt it as it were a duty to her former lover not to betray the whole of that confession so bitterly wrung from him perhaps too there was in that letter a charm which seemed to her too sacred to be revealed to any one and mysteries were not excluded even from a love so ill-placed and seemingly so transitory as hers 
lucy's answer touched the squire in his weak point a man of decidedly low origin he confessed was utterly out of the question nevertheless the young man showed a great deal of candour in his disclosure he readily promised never to broach a subject necessarily so unpleasant and though he sighed as he finished his speech yet the extreme quiet of lucy's manner reassured him and when he perceived that she resumed though languidly her wonted avocations he felt but little doubt of her soon overcoming the remembrance of what he had hoped was but a girlish and fleeting fancy he yielded with avidity to her proposal to return to warlock and in the same week as that in which lucy had received her lover's mysterious letter the father and daughter commenced their journey home End of chapter twenty three